Good morning. It's really good to see you today. Welcome. Would you turn your Bibles with me this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 4? I think we're going to finish this chapter today. We'll see how it goes. And then next week is one of my favorite Sundays in all of the year. Reformation Sunday. What a blessing to look back on church history and to see what God has done to keep the Gospel pure. So, I am hoping and planning to put some special emphasis through a a sermon and just some sharing of some things with you on that Sunday. Usually, we have Reformation Weekend, which we've invited guest speakers to come and share different aspects of the Gospel with and fellowship in that as a church family for a couple of days. We're not doing that this year. Lord willing, we'll get back to that next year. But at least we need to remember these things that God has done. Such a wonderful blessing to to see how God has preserved His church and that we have the Gospel to continue to hand down to one another. So grateful for that. Well, let's stand together and read this text in unison. 1 Timothy 4, 6-16. Let's read this text together and then we'll pray and ask God's blessing as we look at the final two verses this morning. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith, and of the good doctrine that you have followed, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come... Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to these final two verses in this text this morning. And we confess to You that we have enjoyed this text and have been convicted by it and have learned together about Your desires for us in the body of Christ as we pursue becoming good servants of Christ Jesus. We confess to You our inability to achieve these things in our own strength. 
we confess to You our failures in many ways as we look through the details of this text and what the marks are. And we also know that You have granted us forgiveness. You have poured out Your grace and mercy upon us through Christ. And also in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. We are thankful that You have given us righteousness through the Son. You have given us atonement through His cross. You have given us new life within, and the Spirit within, and eternal life through His resurrection. And He has ascended and reigning, seated as Lord of all, interceding for us. And we know that His prayers are being answered as He prayed that we would be kept from the evil one and sanctified in the truth. We pray that You would continue to do that work in us even this morning. Deliver us from distractions, from doubts, from denials of Your Word. And grant us sanctification through the truth. Help us to set our hope on You, not on our own strength, not on our own righteousness, for we have none. May we see Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. And know that He is victorious. And that His, His design for redemption, the plan for the ages, is being accomplished by His power through the Spirit in us, the church, for His glory. And we want to be a part of all of that. So we, we give ourselves to You afresh, even this morning as we open Your Word. And we ask that You would be glorified in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. We look this morning at these last two verses. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. The main idea of this entire text, as you know well now, diligently pursue becoming a good servant of Christ Jesus. You can see that positioned right in the early verses. Pursue becoming a good servant of Christ Jesus. Now here's, here's what our teaching outline has been. And I confess to you this morning that I have been saying that there's eight marks. And as I studied this last week, I'm like, you know what? We need nine. So it's nine. I've listened to other people's sermons and there's 11 also and there's 10. and there, you know. So it just depends on how we see this text flowing together. And um, so, but I am, I am studying diligently. And uh, so here's, here's the nine marks of a good servant of Jesus Christ. We'll look, Lord willing, this week at the last three. Put the truth before your family, meaning give the word, set the table, keep feeding the family of God, the word of God. Train yourself for godliness, command and teach these things because what we have passed down to us is not given by our own authority, it's given by the authority of Christ. Set an example. Devote yourself to biblical ministry. Do not neglect your spiritual gift. We've looked at all these in detail. And this morning, practice these things. Pay attention. Persevere in these things. Paul has been writing to Timothy about how the church ought to behave. And he's been focusing on the life. right? How a life is lived. And he's been talking about godliness. Increasing in godliness. But he's also focused on doctrine. There's always two oars to Christian ministry, life and doctrine. You have to 
you have to speak the words of God, but your life has to adorn the doctrine that you speak. And this is so important because the church, we the church, are the church of the living God, Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, 14-16. We're the church of the living God. God lives in us. We're the household of God. We're God's family. His name is over us. And he says we're also the pillar and buttress of the truth. That means we're, our whole role and calling in the world is to hold high and to hold firm the true gospel of Jesus Christ. The way of salvation. And the people of the church grow in this identity and their calling as they pursue becoming good servants of Christ Jesus. I love this chapter before because it, it kind of gives us a, a clear outline of who we are to become as church leadership, but also by example how each member is to, is to pursue becoming a good servant of Christ Jesus so that we together can live and behave as the household of God, the church of the living God, and function as the pillar and buttress of the truth in the world. So each one of us are called by the Holy Spirit in this text to diligently pursue these things. So then how do we do that? Well, these are the nine things that, that Paul lists for us. And so let's look at the last three this morning. Number one, you can see in your outline, practice these things. Practice these things. This is from verse 15. Paul tells to Timothy, practice these things. What does practice mean? Let's look at the meaning of practice. Letter A in your outline there. Well, this word doesn't just include recurring to an activity and working through it over and over again, it also, it also brings to bear the concept of meditating on something. Strategizing. Planning. To attend carefully to something. These things. Remember what these things are talking about? Most immediately, it's referring to the things that Paul has been writing about in verses 6-16. through All the things that deal with what it means to become a good servant of Christ Jesus. And by association of certainly the rest of the letter as well. Those things which must characterize the behavior of the household of God, the church of the living God, the pillar and buttress of the truth. Practice these things, Paul says to Timothy. In other words, be planning and preparing for these things. These things take strategy. They take thought. They take preparation. They take focus. They take attention. Be practicing. Be at working and doing these things. To the degree that Paul says, immerse yourself in them. That, that verb is really just the verb to be in the original language. Be in it. Live in it. Exist in it. Let it be your atmosphere. Absorb yourself in these things. Get wrapped up in these things. Be preoccupied with them. Immerse yourself in them. Paul says, practice these things. Immerse yourself in these things that we've been talking about for the last five weeks. These things of godliness and biblical ministry must consume an elder 
and by implication, those to whom He is called to be an example. Think about it. Even even as He ministers to His wife and children from day to day, He's to be immersed in these things. These things. Of growing in godliness and, and giving the Word. As He ministers to His church family, exist in this. Be planning and doing these things as He ministers to those God providentially brings into His life from the community from day to day. Practice these things. These things are to consume Him in all of His responsibilities. This is who He must become. That's what, that's what Paul's telling Timothy. Become this. He is to be intensely involved with these things, even as he shares a meal around the family dinner table. Or as he does a task around the house or plans an activity with his kids. He spends time with his wife, provides for his family as he attends to his daily work, as he studies and teaches, for, 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 as he studies for teaching and preaching, as he prays for himself and his people, as he disciples a brother in Christ, as he, as he ministers to a person in his flock who is in spiritual need. All of that is to be existing in the realm of these things. Be planning and preparing for these things. And then be practicing and working at doing these things. Giving truth. Nourishing himself. Training for godliness. Commanding and teaching the Word of God. Being an example in all of these areas. Devoting himself to biblical ministry. Exercising spiritual gifts. That's what Paul is calling Timothy. Be planning and preparing for these things. Be practicing and working at doing these things. One aspect of this point is that the good servant of Christ Jesus must learn how to remove that false dichotomy in his thinking between what is sacred and what is secular. We like to make a distinction between here's what I do with church, here's what I do in my other life. That distinction doesn't exist in the Christian worldview. It's all for God. It's all a form of ministry, no matter what you're doing. Entire life is seen in the light of the sacred. He must practice and immerse himself with these things of becoming a good servant of Christ Jesus, no matter what part of his life and ministry he's engaged with. That's part of the, that's part of the, the meditation and the thought that comes behind the practicing of these things. You begin to ask yourself and look at all of the activities of your life and you think, how does this fit? How does this, what I'm doing here, fit into God's plan of bringing glory to Him and, and bringing people to salvation? Anything that's righteous can fit into that category. And that's why we spend time with our kids. Why? Just to spend time with them? No. To attach ourselves to them. To, to build a relationship of love and trust. Why? Why? So that we can give them the Gospel of Jesus Christ. You can, you can fit all of life into the category of becoming a good servant of Christ Jesus. But it does take some practice and immersing your thinking into that, doesn't it? That's what Paul is calling Timothy to do. Another aspect of his point is that he must devote his life to the planning and practicing of ministry. To the preparation and execution of biblical ministry. This is, this is the total absorption and commitment 
to which the good servant of Christ Jesus is called. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. Right Now, what's the result of that? Or shall we say the purpose of that? Why, why does Paul call Timothy to practice and immerse himself in these things? Let her be in the outline. Here's the purpose of the practice. What is it? It's progress. Obvious progress. So that all may see your progress. Advancement. Positive development. The good servant of Christ Jesus is prayerfully intent upon progress in the areas of both personal godliness and practical ministry, especially of preaching and teaching. And that's, that's kind of, again, like we said, that's, that's the two ores of life in the Christian world view. It's, I, I, I must become like Christ, and, and I must communicate the truth, the gospel, in all areas of my life. His, his prayerful intention is that his progress would be obvious to all of those for whom he is setting an example. Literally, this phrase reads, so that your progress will be evident to all. So that your progress will be evident to all. So the good servant of Christ Jesus is prayerfully intent on a personal progress with these things, right? Verses 6 through 16 so that there is then an obvious, evident, visible, clear progress to everyone under His ministry. And the fact of the matter is, every elder needs to grow, just like every church member needs to grow. Right? Especially elders who are still in the category of youth, like Timothy was. Lots of growing needs to happen. It doesn't do anyone good to, to, for, for an elder to pretend that he is, he's got it all together. It, it doesn't do anyone any good at all. That's hypocritical, right? It's just simply not true. And, and to do so would also discourage those to whom he's to be an example because he would be falsely placing himself in a position that is impossible to imitate. On the other hand, this is not to encourage an elder to spill out all of their personal past failures, either publicly or privately. That doesn't help anybody either. Sometimes you've probably run across someone preaching that he just, he just feels overwhelmed by guilt and he's just spilling it out. It's like, oh, that doesn't help me. I don't need to hear all of that. But it's so clear that what, what the Lord calls the good servant of Christ Jesus to is progress. The longer an elder serves his people, the more they will notice, the people will notice his deficiencies. Right? They get to know him. He gets to know them. But at the same time, the more they should see him practicing to grow and clearly see his spiritual progress. This is, this is very much connected with Paul's exhortation to Timothy when he says, let no one despise you for your youth, but what? Set an example. Paul told Timothy to be an example, 1 Timothy 4.12. Paul told Titus to be a model, same idea, a model of Christian growth and godliness, Titus 2.7. Part of letting no one despise you as you engage them in biblical ministry is setting a godly example. We know that. We've talked about that. But when it comes to the areas in which you are deficient, and you know you're deficient, and, and those who you're caring for know you're deficient, letting no one despise you 
means honestly and prayerfully pursuing personal progress by practice. I want to grow. It's also a very important aspect of setting an example. It's not just setting an example in, in, in love and faith and purity and, and, those, and those virtues, but then setting an example of how to grow beyond your deficiencies by the power of Christ. An elder will never be respected for his perfection. <laughs> it's impossible. But an elder will be respected for his character, his integrity, his faithfulness, and his, and his personal response to his deficiencies, which, which must honestly and prayerfully be practiced for progress. Even, even the Apostle Paul spoke of his own lack of perfection and his spiritual progress as he called others to follow his example. Listen to this. Philippians 3, 12-17. Paul says, Not that I have already obtained this. There it is. Apostle Paul, I haven't, I haven't obtained perfection. I, I am not already perfect, but what I do, here's what I do. He says, I press on to make it my own. Why? How is he able to do that? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul presses on to reach and to obtain Christ-likeness, and his strength and ability to do that is because Christ has made him his own. He says, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if, anyone, if, any, if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. See, that kind of practice toward personal progress will result in a biblical ministry of the Word that, Lord willing, will not be despised by the people who hear the Word, but will be received by them. Wow, that, that parent, that grandparent, that, that teacher, that Bible study leader, that, that pastor, yeah, they have deficiencies, but I'm seeing them grow. When you see one another grow, it encourages you, doesn't it? You remember who you were. They remember who you were. And you see the work of Christ in your life and you watch each other grow. That brings glory to God. And that encourages other people who are struggling to continue to persevere in the strength that God provides. So the good servant of Christ Jesus must practice these things and again, this principle must be applied not only for elders, but to everyone in the body of Christ. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. This is why we're here. This is what we do. This is what the church is. Why? So that all may see our progress. Bible study leaders, youth class leaders, family members, parents, any Christian disciple maker, any Christian. This this. This chapter 4 is such a great outline for becoming an effective disciple-maker in the world. This is so important. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that your progress, so that all may see your progress. It will be convincing to the one you're sharing the Gospel with. Secondly, this morning, as Paul calls Timothy to practice these things toward personal progress, it is necessary that he also call him to pay attention. Pay attention. 
personal practice and progress in ministry must always be monitored carefully. The progress must continue. Isn't it easy for progress to just drop away? It's easy for us to let go. We start well and then we, we sort of let it fall away. It's also important that, that progress must be in the right direction, doctrinally and practically. So Paul calls Timothy, and the Holy Spirit calls us through this text, pay attention. Verse 16, keep a close watch. Keep a close watch. Pay attention. Be awake. Be alert. Be on guard to what's going on. This is, this is an important directive for the good servant of Christ Jesus. The good servant of Christ Jesus has a great desire to bring glory to his master in all that he does. He also desires to influence the people around him or her. To know and love and follow the master as well. And, and living a life that is, that is a godly influence on others and glorifying to God will demand that we pay attention. Stay awake. Be alert. Be on guard. So much is at stake. Remember what the Apostle Paul told Timothy, or told the Ephesian elders right before he left them in Acts 20? He said, he said to them, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Being a good servant of Christ, ministering to others, means you pay very close attention to what is going on in your heart in your life, and in the lives of those you are caring for. We can't be asleep to those things. We have to pay attention to it. Pay attention in which, to, to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood. Think of that, dear ones. Spiritual oversight on any level requires careful attention to those under your care and to yourself. Now what does Paul say that the good servant of Christ Jesus in particular is to keep a close watch on? Two things. Two things. Yourself and the teaching. There you go. Back to that, back to that two, two-part ministry again. Your life and your doctrine. You're going to see this with Paul over and over again in these pastoral epistles. Life and doctrine. Pay attention. First, letter A, pay attention to yourself. When Paul says yourself, he's talking about the character, Christ-likeness, holiness, your training for godliness. What's going on in your heart? What's going on in your mind? What's going on in your life? Pay attention to yourself by continuing to train for godliness, by nourishing yourself in the Word. Are you nourishing yourself in the Word? So much of us, so many of us maybe are, are struggling with, with health issues during this, this time. And so what we do is we pay close attention to what we eat, right? And I don't want to eat that. I, I got to get no inflammatory diet, right? We're getting rid of all those things that are, make it more difficult for us to progress. Hopefully. Nourish yourself. Pay attention to what you put in your heart. Nourish yourself in the Word. Take notice of the activities of the body and in the world. Make sure that they're not derailing your pursuit of godliness so that you're neglecting your personal training and you're exercising these things. 
Paul says, pay close attention. Keep a close watch on yourself. Be mindful of your personal example before others with what you say, what you do, how you love, how you trust in your purity. Pay attention to your deficiencies and distractions. Don't ignore them or deny them. Labor and toil to make personal progress as the living God works in you to will and to work for His good pleasure. You know, it's a joyful thing to study Paul's writings about spiritual progress in godliness because he puts so much hope and encouragement in what he writes. He shows you the gospel strength you have in Christ, the filling of the Spirit, all that God gives to you to, to make all this possible. There's, there's so much hope there. He, op, deficiencies are openly admitted, but development is strongly encouraged and even promised. That's why we read verses like Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you, what? Will complete it in the day of Christ. Because that is true, we continue to keep a close watch and practice and immerse ourselves in these things. You know, I recoil from the modern concept of group therapy. There's a, sometimes a radio program, I don't know if it's, it's here in this state, but when I lived in California, I'd li- listen to it often. And sometimes there would be a, a psychology radio program that would come on and I just would listen to it out of curiosity, really. And almost every time when a caller would call in with a, with a personal issue, the answer was, you need to get in a group. You need to get in a group. Have you heard that concept? Now, I'm not saying groups are bad, but sometimes certain kinds of groups can be actually harmful. So they tell you, get in a safe group. Be transparent. Talk about your failures. Okay? Find comfort in the fact that there are so many people with all the same failures as you have. Right? Huddle. Feel better about yourself as everyone in the group affirms you just as you are for who you are. And that's it. And sometimes, very often, that kind of therapy often comes along with with the psychology and the diagnosis and the la- that, that labels people's issues and views them as an incurable disorder and then medicates them. That's hopelessness in practice. I understand there's a, there's a place for medication. But sometimes, we box ourselves into hopelessness. And that's not the way the Scripture talks about Growth in Christ's likeness. Paul doesn't deliver us uh, a ma- Paul doesn't deliver to us a massive do- dose of hopelessness when he says, "Pay attention to yourself and progress in these things and practice this." According to Paul, because the Spirit of God is in us, because Christ is reigning over us, we can walk in this way. We can practice. We can progress. We can, we can pay attention and grow away from deficiencies and failures. Not, not because of our own insights and our own abilities, but because we are the children of the living God who is raising many sons to glory. Isn't He? That's what the Word tells us. Because we're the temple of the living God who is sanctifying us daily. Because we are the servants of the risen, reigning Lord Jesus Christ who's growing us into His image. So we don't just admit our failures and deficiencies. We speak of progress in Christ through the power of the Gospel. That's important. It's important to talk about our deficiencies, but then we have hope and progress in Christ. 
That's the word of of Romans 8, 28-32. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, you should ask the question, well, what is the good that all things in my life are working toward? What is the purpose to which God called me? 29, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Christians don't stay the same. We don't. We change. And it's not by our own doing. It's by the sovereign grace of God at work in our lives. Ultimately, it's so that we can be, we can, we, we will be the, will glorify the first, will be Christ who will be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. That's an unbreakable chain, isn't it? Not one Christian is going to fall off the plan. I love how Paul calls us to this. What shall we then say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? These are wonderful words. We look and see how God is for us. As a believer, we've been chosen. We've been called. We have been justified. We will be glorified. And God has invested even the life of His Son into that progress into that plan. And if He's given us the life of His Son, He will give us everything else needful to complete the process. Won't He? That's exactly what that text is telling us. So pay attention to yourself so that you may continue to train and exercise for godliness. And, and Paul calls Timothy and the Holy Spirit calls us not only to pay attention to ourselves, but also the teaching. Well, what's he talking about there? Letter B, to the teaching. Well, that refers to Timothy's understanding of and communication of doctrine. Pay attention, Timothy, to what you affirm and what you proclaim to others as sound doctrine. Oh, this is so important. Keep a close watch on what you believe is the Gospel and what you tell others is the Gospel. Keeping the teaching pure and unchanged is the goal of every good servant of Christ Jesus. I hope each of us, when we teach a class, when we, when we, are, we are communicating gospel truth to our children, when you're, when you're sitting across the lunch table with a fellow co-worker or, or visiting someone somewhere and you're, and you're communicating the gospel, that, that a great earnestness comes over us and we say, I, I've got to get the message right. I have to hold out the truth for them so they can set their faith on what is real and true. Oh, this is such a sobering part of this. Pay close attention on the teaching. Keep the teaching pure and unchanged. By the grace of God, we must deliver over to the people the same doctrine that we have understood and believed ourselves. That that could be a challenge. We must understand and believe the same doctrine that the apostles wrote down for us in the New Testament. And of course, we know that the apostles wrote down for us in the New Testament the same truth that Christ taught them. They had the Holy Spirit to inspire them. What Christ taught the apostles, what the apostles wrote down in Scripture, what what we understand from the Scripture, what we teach to the body of Christ, pay close attention to all of that. So that it will remain the same. It'll be consistent. It'll be faithful. That's what what Jude's getting at. 
Jude verse 3, Beloved, though I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you appealing to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That's the doctrine, the faith, the gospel, the New Testament truth. We, we fight, we battle, we contend so that what is delivered once from Christ to the apostles, from them to us, gets handed down, and it's the same. This is, this is eternally important. The Apostle Paul had a lot to say to Timothy, and he had a lot to say to Titus about paying close attention to their teaching, keeping their teaching pure and unchanged. Let me read some verses to you. 1 Timothy 1, 3 and 10 and 11, Paul says to Timothy, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Timothy, keep a close watch on the teaching. Don't let anyone teach something different and and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. 1 Timothy 4.1 Now the Spirit expressly states that in the latter times some will depart from the faith. Depart from the faith, the teaching, the doctrine. By devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Timothy, don't let doctrines of demons creep into your teaching. Keep a close watch on it. Sometimes we think, I've been thinking about this recently, it's like some, God, has, God has blessed our church family over the last years and, and we have come to enjoy a, a unity in doctrine for which I am eternally grateful to God. But you know what? We can't let up. It's like you've got, we've got to keep paying close attention because it's possible for us to drift, right? This is so important. Put these things before the brothers. If you do, you will, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus being trained in the words of the faith. Keep, keep being trained in these things, Timothy, and the good doctrine that you have followed. 1 Timothy 4.13, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to the teaching. 1 Timothy 5.17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Work hard at these things, Timothy. 2 Timothy 1.13, follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Follow the pattern, Timothy. Keep a close watch on you. Make sure you're teaching the same thing I'm teaching, Timothy. 2 Timothy 3.10 You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Follow the teaching, Timothy. 1 Timothy 3.16 All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. 2 Timothy 4.2-3 Preach the Word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time will come when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Teach the Word. Preach the Word, Timothy. When it's convenient, when it's not, keep a close watch on the teaching. Paul says to Titus, Titus 1.9, he, speaking of an elder, 
he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Isn't that, isn't that a great phrase? Hold on to the trustworthy word as taught. Don't change it. Keep it the same, Timothy and Titus, as I've given to you. You've got to watch yourself. Keep a close watch on your teaching. Titus 2.1, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Titus 2.7, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching, show integrity and dignity. We cannot overestimate the importance of paying attention to what we teach to somebody else. We've got to get the Gospel right. And that's, that's all by the grace of God and His strength. Pay attention to the teaching. The doctrine and your accurate communication of that doctrine. Teaching is not an occasion for originality. Again, that, that's part of the problem with, with our modern church culture. We like, to, we like to entertain people, and often people are entertained by something new. The problem is, is when you open the Bible and teach the Gospel, there's not going to be anything new. You don't want If there's something new, there's something wrong. right? We have to keep the doctrine as it's been given to us. Follow the pattern. Teaching is not an occasion for thinking things through on the fly. <laughs> we don't want that. That's dangerous. Labor long in prayer and preparation so that delivery may be accurate. Paul says, pay close attention to the teaching. Pay close attention to yourself. This is so important because life and doctrine are so intertwined, dear ones. A sinful life can pervert your doctrine. How is that so? Well, if a person is living a sinful life and they want to keep living that sinful life, they're going to try to accommodate, accommodate that sinful life by the doctrine that they, that they speak. And so the doctrine will have to change. But the other way around is true also. False doctrine can lead you into a sinful life. Both must be watched very carefully. Neither must be neglected. An elder must... An elder could become so focused on the ministry of teaching that his pursuit of personal godliness may be neglected. So Paul says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. And by the grace of God, the, the good servant of Christ who's paying close attention to both by the power of the Holy Spirit will experience good growth in both these areas. Sound doctrine will purify your life as the Holy Spirit sanctifies you in the truth. And a pure life and a clear conscience will allow light and clarity and understanding of doctrine as the Scripture is carefully studied and taught so that soundness will result. Maybe you're wondering as you think about these things, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that your progress is evident. Pay attention. How do I do that? I want to give you five just quick, simple, practical steps. How can, we, how can we, by the grace of God and His strength, seek to practice these things, verses 6 to 16 and, and so on? First of all, spend much time in prayer, dear ones. I'm not going to tell you anything new right now. I'm just going to remind you of what you've heard a million times. Spend much time in prayer. When you pray, you sit down, you shut the world out, you're quiet before the Lord, and you meditate, right? You meditate on who God is, what He says in His Word, and your own life. 
And in that moment, the Spirit of God brings the Word of God in that quietness and convicts your heart of what you are not and how Christ is sufficient for you. And He calls you to spiritual growth. Prayer is the way to be watchful. Is that what Jesus told His disciples? Watch and pray. Be careful through prayer. And it's how we're dependent on the Lord. We know, we know a hundred times over, apart from Him, we can do nothing. But that's what prayer is about, is coming to the Lord and saying, God, I have nothing to accomplish this. You have it all. I need you. And we come to the living God. That's the theme in, the, in, the, in this section, isn't it? The living God, who is the source of all. Second, spend much time nourishing yourself in the words. What Timothy or what Paul said earlier. Carefully meditate upon the word and its application to your heart and life. I love Bible reading plans, but don't let the pattern, the daily grind of Bible reading plan, just get clicked off without taking the time to think and pay attention to yourself as the word is applied to your own heart. Come to the Word not as a duty, but as food, as, as change. God, I want to see You and Your glory. Will You show me who You are today as I open Your Word? And show me who I, who I am. Show me how much I need Christ. And show me the way to walk in Your way. Continually be reevaluating yourself and your doctrine under the scrutiny and authority of Scripture. As you study Scripture, and you come across a text, and you, and you find a text like, wait, that, that's not the way I believe. Whoa, time to reevaluate, right? That's good. Every part of our lives and ministry should be submitted to the constant scrutiny and authority of the Word of God. It's time to change. Great, that's good. Our doctrine grows, our godliness grows under the nourishment of the Word of God. Three. Seek the accountability of a godly brother or sister in Christ, both for your life and your teaching. I have to have that. I need people to reach out to and say, I don't know what to do about this. I don't know how to think about this part of Scripture. This part of my life needs growth. How do I do that? That's so important for all of us. Reach out to someone and, and give them opportunity and freedom to speak into your life. That's important. Sometimes we get confused about how discipleship works. Sometimes we have to wait for, we feel like we're waiting for someone who is a disciple maker to reach out to us, who's the disciple so that we know that we can have help from them. It's the other way around. The disciple should take the initiative and say, will you help me with this? Will you teach me through this? How did you do this? That's how the initiative goes. We reach out and we say, I need help. I need you to look at my life. I need you to examine my teaching. Do I have this right? How, do I, how can I grow with this? And give that person the opportunity and freedom to speak in your life. That's how relationships in the body of Christ grow. That's the beauty of fellowship. Number four, focus on areas that you, need, that, that you know you need to grow in. Focus on areas that you need growth in. When you or the one you have asked to help you with something, observe a specific area in your life that requires progress. Don't ignore that. Don't set it aside. All of us have these areas. 
Focus on it. Find the Word of God that deals with it. That's why it's so important to continue to read through the Bible because then you get a, you get a, a big picture of what's in your toolbox of the Word of God, as it were. And so when you have an issue, you can go to that book of the Bible or that section of Scripture and say, this is what I need. This is what I need. Now I need to really understand this deeply. Father, teach me through this how to grow in this area. Find the Word of God that deals with it. And, 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 and the Word, let the Word change you. Find biblical materials that deal with that issue. Pray about it. Invite others to pray about it with you. And let them speak into that issue. Spend much time in prayer. Spend much time nourishing yourself in the Word. Seek the accountability of a godly brother or sister in Christ. Focus on areas that you know you need to grow in. And number five, carve time into your weekly schedule for these things. You've got to carve time into your weekly schedule for these things. Make them a regular part of your life. You budget your money, right? I hope you do. You have to budget your money. But you know what? You have to budget your time just as you budget your money. And how you budget those two things will show you where your heart is. Right? How you give your time, how you give your money shows you what is most important to you. Are you an impulsive spender? Do you have a plan for spending? It is important to plan how you're going to spend your time because if you don't, your spending will become a slave to the urgent and impulsive and the most important things will be neglected. Have you found that to be true? If I don't schedule my week, it just becomes an impulsive giveaway, right? The urgent often takes us away from what is most important. And that's important with this. That's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. We give our time to stuff. We give our, our, our resources to things. And you know what? Then we, we think as we're planning this, this is what's most important. This is what I need to do. This is what I need to be investing myself in. I don't know if this is going to work out. And that's why Jesus says, trust your heavenly Father to give to you what you need. Right? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's how it works in the kingdom of God. And so by the grace of the living God, we're called to practice these things and pay attention to these things. Give ourselves to them. Live in this. This is what it means to be the church of the living God. Number three, finally this morning, persevere in these things. Persevere in these things. Persist. Persevere. There's the word. Verse 16b. Persevere, continue, remain, stay in it, endure, don't give up, keep going. This sounds like a coach. Paul's Timothy's coach. Keep going. What does that mean? Persevere in the training for godliness. Persevere in learning and teaching of sound doctrine. Persevere in the practice of these things. Persevere in the progress toward Christ's likeness. Persevere and pay attention in paying attention to yourself and, and what you teach to others. We all need the Holy Spirit to form perseverance in us, don't we? I know I need it. Why is it necessary and important? Why is perseverance? Why does Paul even bring this up? Persist, Timothy. Because we are naturally drawn to immediate gratification. 
Do you agree with me? All of us are. We, we want the quick fix. We want the satisfaction now. We want the solution immediately. That's not how we change. Growth and change happen through perseverance. Our fallen humanness is far too deeply ingrained in us for change to happen quickly. It's the way we all are. And the other part of this is it's not, it's not how our Father disciplines us. Our discipline and training doesn't happen quickly. The Bible says it's for discipline that we have to endure. Christ-likeness will not come to us apart from suffering and endurance in that suffering. Right? That's what we're learning. God trains us through perseverance. Romans 5, 3-5, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. How can we possibly rejoice in suffering? Because we know that suffering produces what? Endurance. It does. That's how God trains us. Endurance. And endurance produces what? Character. What we're, what we're looking for. What we're asking God to do in us. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hebrews 12, 4-7, 10-11 In your struggle against sin, believer, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Has anybody shed blood this week in being a Christian? I didn't think there were going to be any hands, right? No. Christ did though. To make us His. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves. And He chastises every son whom He receives. That requires endurance. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. Verse 10, for they, our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good that we may share His what? Holiness. Ah, there's the training for godliness again. There's the goal. There's the objective. I want that God. Well, it's going to take discipline and you're going to have to endure in that. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The Holy Spirit is calling us and equipping us to persevere in these things through this text. Why else must we persevere and persist? Here's one other thing. Because the evil one and his demons will afflict us through many means, however they are allowed to, in order to prevent us from progress and godliness and teaching sound doctrine. We have to remember that we're in a war and the evil one will resist any gospel advancement in our lives. So perseverance is required. Therefore, persevere by the strength which the living God supplies to us. That's essential. Now, what will be the result of that? Paul says, by doing so, you will save yourself and your hearers. That's an interesting phrase. I hope that perks up your ears, right? Save myself? Save my hearers? If I practice these things, if I progress in these things, if I pay attention to my life and my doctrine, I will save myself and my hearers. What? 
what is that talking about? I, I, thought, I thought Jesus saves people. How can a person save themselves? Is that what it says? You will save yourself and your hearers? How can, how can a one person save another person? Well, let's not make a mistake here, Lord willing. Paul is not replacing Christ with you. Right? He's not doing that. He's not making you the redeemer of yourself. You cannot save yourself or anyone else in the sense of providing perfect righteousness or providing atonement for sin or spiritual eternal resurrection life. You can't give that to yourself. You can't give that to anybody else. Only Christ saves in that sense because only He lived and died and rose again. But Paul is drawing Timothy's attention to the instrument of salvation. What's the instrument of salvation? Faith, right? Talking about perseverance in faith. He's not talking about the merit or provision of salvation. The Holy Spirit in this text is bearing down hard on the necessity of persevering faith for the salvation of yourself and the necessity of persevering in the faith as you teach it for the salvation of others. So let's look at these for, for a minute. You will save yourself. That's the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Have you heard of that doctrine? The condition of salvation is always the same throughout Scripture. What's the condition of salvation? Repent and believe the Gospel. Right? That is the call to true saving faith. That's what true saving faith looked like. And faith, true saving faith, proves itself to be present and true only when it shows itself by ongoing repentance from sin and growth and godliness. Does that make sense? True saving faith shows itself to be there when in your life there is ongoing repentance and growth and godliness, just like Paul's been talking about. If your faith in Christ does not persevere to the end, your faith was not genuine saving faith and you will not be saved. That's clear and simple throughout the Word. If you profess faith in Christ but never show repentance from sin and growth toward godliness, you don't have saving faith. A lot of people think when they look at someone who, who confessed Christ and then their life is just full of sin and, and no growth in godliness, no repentance, they think, well, they must have lost their salvation. No, you can't lose true salvation. Paul teaches that clearly. But what can happen is that someone professes to have true faith but really doesn't. And you know that by what shows up and doesn't show up in their life. See, salvation is God's work. And if salvation has happened in a person's life, there's going to be a difference that's going to show. How could there not be a difference if God is at work in someone's life? You see? This is not to say that your faith earns or merits or deserves salvation. That's not what we're saying. But persevering faith is the instrument by which you receive salvation from Christ and prove that His salvation is truly yours. That's why Paul says, Timothy, persevere in these things. And if you do, you'll save yourself. The perseverance of the saints in their faith is a major theme in Paul's writings. That's why he said, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the Gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. What's the next word? If. 
What? I don't like those ifs. Well, I know, I understand. This is how the gospel works. By the grace of God, you hold fast to the word I preach to you. He says, so by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Or Colossians 1, 21 and 23. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. What's the next word? If. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. That's the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Yes, Jesus lived and died and rose again and provided all your salvation, but your salvation is only real if you persevere in faith to the end. That's important. If you persevere in faith to the end, what's the promise? You will be saved. You will have eternal life. If you do not persevere in faith to the end, then you have never been saved and you will not be. This is Paul's meaning when he says to Timothy, persevere in these things. And as you seek to persevere in faith as good servants of Christ, always remember, the living God is the one and only source of your saving, persevering faith. That's the capstone of this. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and what? This is not your doing. It is a gift from God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We're His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So where do you get the, perse- where do you get the faith that perseveres from? From God. It's a gift. And that's why it perseveres. He continues to guard you through giving you faith so that you make it to the end and are glorified. See, that's why why Paul writes in Romans 8, the one he justifies, he what? He glorifies. It all works together. God always calls us to do things and persevere in things that we in ourselves are incapable of. Can we learn that? (laughs) Sometimes we come to the Bible and we think, well, if God told me to do it, that means I must be able to. No, it's just the opposite. You look at all the commands of Scripture and you say, man, God is always telling me things I am incapable of doing. Exactly. That's what salvation is all about. You find out that I can do nothing apart from Him and you cast yourself upon the resources of the living God and you find that in Him you have all the resource you need. And salvation is all for His glory. So Paul says, persevere. Last point. You're being a very patient audience. I want to finish this and it's long, I know, but here's the last point. You will save your hearers. Paul says, persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Here's the point. The living God saves sinners. Amen? Yes! He saved us. It's so good. The living God alone saves sinners. But the living God saves sinners through what? Means, doesn't He? He saves people through means. The living God has chosen to save sinners through the means of, of gospel preaching and teaching. That's Paul's meaning. He's not implying that one person can somehow atone for another person. Only Christ can atone for sinners. He is simply stating that God uses people 
to get the Gospel to other people so that people can be saved. That needs to bear down on us, doesn't it? God uses people to get the Gospel to other people so that people can be saved. And because God has chosen to save sinners through Gospel preaching and teaching all over the community, when that teaching comes from our mouths as His servants, what we say then really matters, doesn't it? Timothy's teaching in Ephesus mattered. Our teaching in Escanaba matters. All of our teaching. We teach our children. We teach our co-workers. We, we share Gospel. Think about it, dear ones. All across the world today, teachers are teaching all kinds of followers about a way to eternal life. Yes? All kinds of teachers. And those followers are hearing those words and understanding those words and believing those words and and coming more and more committed to that way that they're being taught is the way to eternal life. You see? They're hearing it, and they're being more and more committed to it. But, are all of those words truth? I mean, all over the world today. There's all kinds of people saying, here's the way to eternal life. Are they all right? No. How many of those teachers are teaching something that will not save their hearers, but rather will damn their hearers? That is terrifying, isn't it? Think of that. Not any way will do. That's why Paul is so intense about this. Keep a close watch on your Timothy, on your teaching, Timothy, and persist in keeping a close watch because if you do, you will save your hearers. What we teach as the way of eternal life will either save or damn our hearers. I understand that God is sovereign over all of it. I believe that too. And I understand that no one deserves even the opportunity to hear the way of salvation. We're sinners. We deserve God's judgment. I believe that. The Bible teaches that. But in this text, Paul is putting a great emphasis on the importance of getting the teaching right so that those who hear us will be saved by the grace of God. Paul is deadly serious about this perseverance and paying close attention. And I want us to be as well. We need to be. It doesn't matter whether you're, you're, you're teaching the Gospel to an entire assembly of people, or you're teaching the Gospel to a Bible study, or your child, or, or someone you're discipling, a family member. It all matters. It all matters so much. What you teach them about the way matters. Persist in paying close attention to your teaching. The songs we sing, the curriculum we use, the explanations we give to Bible verses, it all matters. If you would be a good servant of Christ Jesus, you must persevere in paying close attention to your teaching so that it doesn't vary from the Gospel of Christ and the Apostles. In closing this morning, notice how the Apostle Paul brings this all to an end. He, he talks about the salvation of people who hear. That's why you and I are here, beloved. That's why we as a local church have, have been able to, to, to come together and exist in this community. It's for the glory of God in the salvation of sinners. That's why we exist. You believe that? 
Do you live like that? For the glory of God and the salvation of sinners. That's why, if you're a believer, that's why you're here. You exist in this world. God could just save you and take you to heaven, right? He doesn't. He leaves us here. Why? To proclaim the gospel by our life and our words. Everything that Paul has described in this chapter finds its goal in the salvation of sinners. Live a godly life. Why? So that sinners will be drawn to your Savior. Keep your doctrine pure. Why? So that sinners will be shown the true way to eternal life. We're the pillar and the buttress of the truth. That's what God calls us. Our life and doctrine matters because this is what God desires. He wants sinners to be saved right here in our community. God desires to use you to save people. It's an interesting way of talking about it, but that's the way Paul says it. That's what he wants for you, for your life. So by His grace and His power, diligently pursue becoming a good servant of Christ Jesus. The living God is the one on whom we set our hope. Let me ask you before we pray, are you still an unbeliever? I don't know. Someone sitting here, someone listening online, are you still an unbeliever? Do you still love your own way in life? You're all about you. You're all about what you want to do. Your sin covering it up, continuing in it, and you have little concern for Christ, little concern for the Word of God. Is that you? Are you still an unbeliever? Maybe you're a pretender. Putting on a show when you're, when you're with other believers or in certain environments, but then finding that in life you fit in very well with the thoughts and the words and the behaviors of unbelievers in everyday life. That's where you fit in. And you put on an uncomfortable facade when you come with believers. Is that you? Are you a pretender? Are you someone who's been captured by a false way of salvation? So many people in our community put their trust in their own righteousness to get to heaven. i got to be good enough. i got to make sure I do A, B, and C, and then God will be happy with me. That is a false teaching. We need Christ. Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way. Why? He lived. He died. He rose again. He provided everything necessary for our salvation. Come to Him. Put your hope in Him. He saves and keeps and will bring you to eternal life. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together. Our Father, we come and Open this text again and look at what we're called to in 1 Timothy 4. And Father, I, I confess again to you that we are a far cry from it. We're, we're, we're struggling, we're trying, we're reaching. But Father, we can do nothing apart from you. We ask that you would help us to see how to apply these marks into everyday life. Teach us, Holy Spirit. Change our desires from what we run after to what You have called us to. Give us great joy in walking in Your way and great strength to persevere. Father, I, I know that 
many of my brothers and sisters, even in this room, are burdened with, with great troubles and trials in their life right now. And Father, you are, you are growing in us. You are working your, your will in our lives. You are working in us to desire and to be able to do what you've called us to do. And, and so the evil one is pushing back on us very, very hard. And our own sinful nature is, is against this progress. But Father, give us the grace to persevere. Give us the faith. We don't have it in ourselves, but You can give it to us. You are the living God who sees and knows and has all power. And as the source of life, the Creator of heaven and earth, we can, we can hope in You. You are the living Savior. Please carry us on. Thank You for Your promises and Your provisions to us. Help us to see that in all the things where You guide us, all the, all the life situations You have us are, are, are purposeful. Not only for us to, to grow in, in our godliness, but also for us to be able to be a testimony of Your work to our families, the people around us, so that they would see Your glory through us. And Father, I ask that You would protect us and our teaching. Help each of us as parents as we teach our children throughout the week and speak words to those that You make an open door for us to speak. Help us to, help us to get the Gospel right. Help us not to be afraid or ashamed of the true Gospel, but to give it in love and compassion and boldness, and accuracy. We want, we long for others to be saved, to be shown the mercy that You have shown to us. And Father, even I ask, save this morning. Save the one who hears this Word. If there is someone that is a pretender, help them to see that they are, and understand it, and that it's not, it's not worth it. Father, they would see Christ as a beautiful, perfect Savior, a glorious friend who loves them beyond they can imagine. I pray that You would, would awaken the religious person who is trusting in themselves to see that that is a dead end. It may seem right. It may seem religious, but has no saving power. Father, I pray that you would help them to see that Christ has all the saving power, that they would set their hope away from themselves and on to Christ alone. Father, we ask these things. We pray that You would, as we have gone through this text, that You would help us to not be forgetful hearers, but doers. Change us forever by these words as we continue to practice and persist in them. Father, we ask that it would make a big difference in each one of our lives and collectively the life of our body. And we pray these things with great hope because we know that the risen, reigning Christ is able to do all of this in our lives and will according to His promise. We pray in His name. Amen.